Welcome back to The Law. I'm D.K. Williams, and this is episode 19. We're going to talk about Gideon versus Wainwright. This is a famous 1963 U.S. Supreme Court case that said, if the state wants to put you in a cage on a criminal charge, the state has to provide you with an attorney if you can't afford your own. I phrased it that way on purpose, and if you are a regular listener, you know why, and we'll get into that in a bit and explain why I phrased it that way. But first, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com. Follow me on Twitter, at BlueCarp, and on Facebook.com slash BlueCarp. Check out my blog, at, you guessed it, BlueCarp.net. Continue the discussion there, any of those places. Let me know how you feel, what you think. I'd love to hear from you. And, of course, like, share, rate, help us pump up those numbers. Gideon versus Wainwright, 1963 case. It's a unanimous decision. The main opinion was written by Justice Hugo Black, and he was joined by five other justices, Earl Warren, William Joseph Brennan, Potter Stewart, Colorado's own Byron White, and Arthur Goldberg. The three other justices agreed with the outcome, so it's unanimous, but they didn't join the majority opinion. They wrote separately in what they call a concurrence. Concurrence usually happens when a justice agrees with the outcome, but they have a different rationale to get to the same outcome, or they want to say something in addition to what the main opinion said. The concurrences in this case were by Justice Tom Clark, John Marshall Harlan the Younger, one of my favorites, and William Douglas. So Clarence Gideon was a guy convicted in Florida court, and we'll talk about how he got convicted and what the charges were. So that's who Gideon was, who was Wainwright. Louis L. Wainwright was the corrections director for the Florida state prison system, and that's why his name is on the case. Gideon was charged, Florida State Court, with a non-capital felony. That means it's not a death penalty case. And he appeared, without any money, without counsel, asked the trial court to appoint counsel for him. But the trial court said, no, I can't do it, man, because the state law at that time only permits appointment of counsel for indigent defendants, which means people charged with a crime that don't have any money. They only got attorneys at that time in capital cases, in death penalty cases. That was the Florida state law at the time. So Gideon had to defend himself, but he was convicted. He was sentenced to five years in jail. Subsequently, he did his appeals. He appealed to the state Supreme Court. That was denied. From there, he appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. What were the charges? Clarence Earl Gideon rested in charge with breaking and entering with the intent to commit petty larceny. Larceny is a theft of personal property based on a burglary that was committed between midnight and eight in the morning on June 3rd, 1961 at a pool room in Panama City, Florida. Now, the arrest and the evidence was based entirely on the report of a witness that had seen Gideon in the pool room at 5.30 in the morning on the night of the crime and that Gideon had a wine bottle and money in his pockets. Since Gideon couldn't afford a lawyer, since he requested a lawyer for his defense and that was denied, he eventually did his own appeals to the U.S. Supreme Court. His argument was that Sixth Amendment rights to counsel had been violated, and we'll get into the exact language of the Sixth Amendment here shortly. And they also had to use the 14th Amendment, and that's where we get into this incorporation doctrine, which I still am going to talk about in a future podcast, but it deserves its own podcast, and we'll mention it again here in this podcast about just briefly what it, what the idea behind it is. And I'll say now, for background, the U.S. Constitution did not apply to the states when it was passed. It was strictly restrictions on what the federal government could do, gave it specific powers, said you can't do anything else. And the 
the founding fathers all from their own states, they weren't worried about their own states. Most of them already had constitution, state constitutions that took care of everything they were worried about. And they were closer to the state, so they just weren't worried about it. They were worried about the federal government in general getting too much power and then letting, for example, if you're in Virginia, they didn't want the northern states to get together and start telling them what to do. So that was the entire point of the U.S. Constitution was that each state was still going to be able to do what it wanted to do. And the Constitution was a limit on what the federal system, federal government could do to the state. And so because of that, the Sixth Amendment, which guaranteed the right to counsel, and we'll look at the exact language of that, it didn't apply to the states. So Gideon was coming out of a state court criminal prosecution, and he's going to say, hey, the Sixth Amendment is my Sixth Amendment right, or my rights are supposed to be protected by the Sixth Amendment. Again, this language is important. Got to remember this. His natural rights as protected by the Sixth Amendment were being violated. But if the Constitution doesn't apply to the states, you can't make that argument. So that's what incorporation is. That's what the 14th Amendment was used to do. And there's a lot of commentary on this, but that's what happened. The 14th Amendment was used to incorporate the Bill of Rights to apply to the states. Again, that's a whole topic, but that's I'll just tell you that's what happens here and in other cases. So if you talk to some law students and you said, hey, what's Gideon v. Wainwright about? They would tell you that's the case where the U.S. Supreme Court said that indigent defendants in a criminal case must be provided a lawyer by the state. Or they might even say they have the right to an attorney, and that's where the Miranda warnings tell you. I've heard my thoughts on the Bill of Rights before, and it's, and it's accurate. The Bill of Rights is misnamed. It's not a Bill of Rights. It's not giving people rights. It is more properly a bill of restrictions, restrictions on the government and what it can do to you. It says throughout that Congress shall make no law abridging or that a right shall not be infringed by the government. So it presupposes the existence of these rights. And it's saying these rights that we're mentioning you have and the federal government shall not impose upon those rights or infringe upon those rights. The document clearly restricts the government. It doesn't grant rights. This is an incredibly important distinction or point that very few people even recognize. It's not that they don't agree with it. They just don't even recognize it. They don't even acknowledge it. First, let's acknowledge it, what it's doing. And second, let's understand that it's right. We have our rights by virtue of being human. No one gives them to us. The government doesn't dole out rights because it's magnanimous. If it did, it could take them back if it wanted to. So the right to an attorney, in this case, also misnamed. No one has a right to be given anything. You don't have a right to health care. You don't have a right to an attorney. You don't have a right to a minimum wage or food or any of this other modern nonsense that you hear about. So what we have is a restriction on the government putting you in jail, a restriction on government authority. The government cannot put you in a cage unless it provides you with an attorney. So it's a restriction on the government. The government cannot do it unless it does something. It says the government can't put you in jail unless it gives you an attorney. Then that is a crucial distinction. The concept is so important because if you start saying you have a right to an attorney, then you can say you have a right to other things, but you don't have a right to be given anything. You have a right to your self-ownership. The Constitution sets limits on government authority. Now, the anarchist will say the government should have no authority. Hey, I get you that. I get your argument. I understand. But the point of these podcasts is to talk about what the Constitution is supposed to do. I understand Lysander Spooner and a bunch of other people said, well, the Constitution is useless. Hey, that's another argument. There's some great points about that. But we're talking about what the Constitution is supposed to do, how it was set up. And maybe if we can get there, we'd be a lot better off. So in essence, the government cannot utilize the authority given to it by the founders. And I get it. I get it. I know. 
We didn't give the government that power. Long time ago, the guys got together, gave the government this power, but the government can't use that power to cage you unless it, the government provides you with a lawyer. All right, I think you guys got me on that. So the 6th and the 14th Amendments apply, like we briefly mentioned, but let's look at the entire 6th Amendment, and it says several things. The specific part about having attorney is the last sentence in the 6th Amendment, or the last phrase. It's one long sentence, kind of like Faulkner wrote it, but this is what it says. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial. All right, let's stop there. They had issues with the king charging you with something, or, you know, the king's agents, and locking you in a jail for uh, an indefinite period of time before they gave you a trial. So that's why they have the right to a speedy trial. But again, it's the government cannot charge you and jail you unless they give you a speedy trial. Got it? And a public trial. Because they had problems in the past under the king, under the monarchy, with private trials. And you're going, hey, what the hell happened to that guy? I don't know. It was in private. We have no idea how fair or, tr how fair or just that trial was because it was in private. They don't want that. They want public trials. People can see it. It can be subject to scrutiny in the light of day. Again, it's saying that the government cannot try you in private. It's a restriction on the government. It continues, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law so they can't move you around after you've been charged. And to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, they have to tell you what you've been charged with. They can't say, you've been charged with doing something bad over here. They have to tell you exactly what it was. To be confronted with the witnesses against him, that's called the confrontation clause. The government can't convict you because they say, hey, so-and-so told us you did something bad. He's not going to be in court, but we're going to present this evidence to the jury that that's what he said. Can't do that. Also have, you have the compulsory, you have the right to compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor. Again, all right, that means you've got the power to subpoena people. But again, it's a limit on what the government can do. The government cannot put you in a cage unless they make people show up in your defense. And finally, the last part is to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. And that's what Gideon v. Wainwright is about. Gideon didn't have a lawyer, and he's saying, hey, Sixth Amendment right there. I have the right to assistance of counsel for my defense. Or better stated, you can't put me in jail unless you give me a lawyer. And prior to Gideon's case, the case law was pretty much that in states. No, you have the right to counsel if you can afford it. But this case says, no, the government can't put you in jail unless they give you an attorney. Hey, they're paying for the judge. They're paying for the police. They're paying for the district attorney. The government's paying for all this stuff. So if they're going to put you in jail, they have to give you an attorney too. They have to pay for that too. That's the essence of it. And that's the way to conceptualize it. And you see it's being described incorrectly all the time. Some popular website, when I was looking through the different commentary on the case, described the holding incorrectly. That's how they said it. Quote, in a unanimous decision, so far they're right, the Supreme Court established that the 14th Amendment creates a right for criminal defendants who cannot pay their own lawyers to have the state appoint attorneys on their behalf. Okay, I'm not going to worry about the 14th Amendment part because, right, that's how it applies to the states. But it doesn't create a right for criminal defendants. It acknowledges a limit on government power, state power. It acknowledges the limit applies to states just like it applies to the federal government. And you can see how that's wrong. And lawyers probably wrote that. But again, look at the Constitution. It doesn't grant rights. It says government shall not infringe upon your rights. It limits the power of the government. It limits the force of the state. Far better way to conceptualize what the Constitution does. And not conceptualizing that way leads to a lot of problems, as we can see in modern times. That the government can grant you the right to a lawyer. It can grant you the right to a doctor, which is not correct. So what did the Supreme Court say? Justice Black wrote, telling us what 
what's going on. He said, Petitioner was charged in a Florida state court with having broken and entered a pool room with the intent to commit a misdemeanor. By breaking and entering with the intent to do anything wrong, he says this offense is a felony under Florida law. Appearing in court without any funds and without a lawyer, he asked the court to appoint counsel for him, whereupon the following colloquy took place. Colloquy is one of my favorite words. It just means exchange in a conversation. When you go to the store and buy something, if you talk with the clerk about what you bought and how much it's going to cost, you're having a colloquy. And Gideon had a colloquy with the judge. The judge said, Mr. Gideon, I'm sorry, but I cannot appoint a counsel to represent you in this case. Under the laws of the state of Florida, the only time the court can appoint counsel to represent a defendant is when that person is charged with a capital offense, a death penalty eligible case. I am sorry, but I will have to deny your request to appoint counsel to defend you in this case. Upon which Gideon said, the United States Supreme Court says I'm entitled to be represented by counsel. They actually hadn't said that yet. He has an argument that that's what they meant, but they hadn't actually said it yet. Now they've actually said it in his case. Justice Black went on to describe what happened, put to trial before a jury, Gideon conducted his defense about as well as could be expected from a layman. He made an opening statement to the jury, cross-examined the state's witnesses, presented witnesses in his own defense, declined to testify himself, which is smart, and made a short argument emphasizing his innocence to the charge contained in the information filed in his case. The jury returned a verdict of guilty, and he was sentenced to serve five years in the state prison. Black continues, later petitioner, Gideon, filed in the Florida Supreme Court his habeas corpus petition, which is an appeal saying I've been unconstitutionally convicted and jailed, attacking his conviction and sentence on the ground that the trial court's refusal to give him a lawyer denied him his rights, as he said, guaranteed by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights by the United States government. The Supreme Court accepted the petition but denied relief without any written opinion. He got to the U.S. Supreme Court where they overturned all that. And now, to do that, to say that Gideon had to be provided a lawyer if the state wanted to prosecute him and put him in jail, they had to overturn a prior U.S. Supreme Court case called Brett's v. Brady, where they ruled differently. And that was back in 1942. So they had to explain why they were going to do that. And this is what Black said, part of what he said. The facts upon which Betts, that was a prior case where Betts said he needed an attorney or was required to be provided an attorney. And the Supreme Court said, no, you don't. So the facts in that case claim that Betts, he claimed that he'd been unconstitutionally denied the right to have counsel. In that case, the facts are strikingly similar upon which the ones Gideon bases his constitutional claim. Betts was indicted for robbery in a Maryland state court. He told the trial judge of his lack of funds to hire a lawyer and asked the court to appoint him for one. Betts was advised that it was not the practice in that county to appoint counsel for indigent defendants, just means they don't have any money, except in murder and rape cases. He then pled not guilty, had witnesses summoned, cross-examined the witnesses, examined his own, and chose not to testify himself. Again, very similar to Gideon. He was found guilty by the judge because there was no jury in that case for some reason, and he was sentenced to eight years in prison. So like Gideon, Betts sought release by habeas corpus saying he was unconstitutionally convicted, alleging that he had been denied the right to assistance of counsel. Betts was denied relief and on review. This court, the U.S. Supreme Court, affirmed. The U.S. Supreme Court in that case, back in decades earlier, held that a refusal to appoint counsel for an indigent defendant charged with a felony did not necessarily violate the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, and remember, they have to use the 14th Amendment to make the 6th Amendment applicable to the states. There, the court said, this asserted denial of due process, and due process is part of the 14th Amendment, so asserted denial of due process is to be tested by an appraisal of the totality of facts in a given case. That which may, in one setting, constitute a denial of fundamental fairness, shocking to the universal sense of justice, may, in other circumstances, and in the light of other consideration, fall short of such denial. So, in other words, we're just going to decide this on a case-by-case -case basis. 
you can see there might be problems with that, right? How do you, how can you decide what you're going to do if the Supreme Court's just going to decide it as they go along, right? Justice Black continued, the court in that case held that refusal to appoint counsel under those particular facts and circumstances was not so offensive to the common and fundamental ideas of fairness as to amount to a denial of due process. So Betts, is, Betts loses. Black goes on, Justice Black writing in the Gideon case, since the facts and circumstances of the two cases are so nearly indistinguishable, we think the Brett's v. Beatty holding, if left standing, would require us to reject Gideon's claim that the Constitution guarantees him the assistance of counsel. Get this, he's, Black writes this correctly because he says, if we follow Betts, we're going to have to reject Gideon's claim that the Constitution guarantees him the assistance of counsel. Not that he has the right to a lawyer, but that the Constitution says he must be given one if the state wants to prosecute him. Black goes on, upon full reconsideration, we conclude that Betts v. Brady should be overruled. The state must provide him with an attorney if they want to exercise their authority to jail him. So the Sixth Amendment provides, this is Black again in the Supreme Court case for Gideon, in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. We, the Supreme Court, have construed this to mean that in federal courts, counsel must be, must be provided for defendants unable to employ their own counsel unless they waive that right. So he points out that they've already said that in federal court, the feds have got to give you an attorney if they want to prosecute you. So until this decision... It only applied to the federal courts. It did not apply to the state courts. And again, that's the incorporation doctrine. And a whole other thing about this incorporation doctrine, you would think that maybe they would have said, you know what, the 14th Amendment makes the Bill of Rights applicable to the states. Boom, it does. But they didn't do that. They did it piecemeal, one at a time, one part at a time. So you never knew if they're going to apply the third clause of a particular amendment to the states, even if they had already applied the second and the fourth clause. They did it piecemeal, one at a time. And here, they're doing it to the Sixth Amendment and the restriction on the government from prosecuting you without giving you an attorney. So the Supreme Court had said in 1938 that federal defendants in a federal court charged with federal crimes had to be given attorneys. So Betts, in that earlier case, had argued that his right to be given an attorney applied to his case because it was a state court by the 14th Amendment. The court denied that and said, while the Sixth Amendment laid down no rule for the conduct of the states, which is correct, the question recurs whether the constraint laid by the amendment, the 14th Amendment, upon which the national courts expresses a rule so fundamental and essential to a fair trial. And so, to due process of law, that's the 14th Amendment part, that is made obligatory upon the states by the 14th Amendment. Man, that's just a lot of really like convoluted language, isn't it? All legalese. The court continued plainly. Had the court, this, all right, this is the Gideon court talking about the Betts court. Plainly had the Betts court concluded that appointment of counsel for an indigent criminal defendant was a fundamental right, essential to a fair trial, it would have held that the 14th Amendment requires appointment of counsel in a state court, just as the Sixth Amendment requires it in a federal court. Black goes on for the U.S. Supreme Court in Gideon's case. We think the court in Betts had ample precedent for acknowledging that those guarantees of the Bill of Rights, again, guarantees, not grant of rights, but guarantees that those rights that you already have are protected or will be protected, which are fundamental safeguards of liberty. Immune from federal abridgment are equally protected against state invasion by the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. So he's basically saying they got the law right, they just didn't apply it right to bets. And now we're going to apply it right, and henceforth. Again, Supreme Court in Gideon says the Constitution guarantees rights, not grants rights. Rights are protected, not granted. Boom, that's my entire point. Then next, the Supreme Court in Gideon explicitly overturns bets, and it says, quote, We accept Betts v. Brady's assumption 
based as it was on our prior cases, that our provision of the Bill of Rights, which is fundamental and essential to a fair trial, is made obligatory upon the states by the 14th Amendment. We think the court in Betts was wrong, however, in concluding that the Sixth Amendment's guarantee of counsel is not one of those fundamental rights. So Betts was wrong in not saying the right to counsel was a fundamental right, which applied to the states via the 14th Amendment. The Gideon Court goes on. The assistance of counsel is one of the safeguards of the Sixth Amendment deemed necessary to ensure fundamental human rights of life and liberty. The Sixth Amendment stands as a constant admonition that if the constitutional safeguards it provides be lost, justice will not still be done. Reason and reflection require us to recognize that in our adversary system of criminal justice, any person hailed in a court who is too poor to hire a lawyer cannot be assured a fair trial unless counsel is provided for him. This seems to us to be an obvious truth. Governments, both state and federal, quite properly spend vast sums of money to establish machinery to try defendants accused of crime. Lawyers to prosecute are everywhere deemed essential to protect the public's interest in an orderly society. Similarly, there are few defendants charged with crime, few indeed, who fail to hire the best lawyers they can get to prepare and present their defenses. That government hires lawyers to prosecute and defendants who have the money hire lawyers to defend are the strongest indications of the widespread belief that lawyers in criminal courts are necessities, not luxuries. Black and the Supreme Court goes on in the Gideon case. The right to be heard would be, in many cases, of little avail if it did not comprehend the right to be heard by counsel. Even the intelligent and educated layman has small and sometimes no skill in the science of law. If charged with crime, he is incapable, generally, of determining for himself whether the indictment is good or bad. He is unfamiliar with the rule of evidence. Left without the aid of counsel, he may be put on trial without a proper charge and convicted upon incompetent evidence or evidence irrelevant to the issue or otherwise inadmissible. He lacks both the skill and knowledge adequately to prepare his defense, even though he have a perfect one. He requires the guiding hand of counsel at every step in the proceedings against him without it, though he be not guilty. He faces the danger of conviction because he does not know how to establish his innocence. There you have it. If the government, state or federal, wants to put you in a cage, it must provide you an attorney. That's it. It's a limitation of government power. It is not a grant of right to the people. And that makes all the difference. How we think about this stuff is crucial to how we understand and use the Constitution. And almost no one understands this stuff, but you do. Now go spread the gospel. This has been The Law, Episode 19, Gideon v. Wainwright. And I'm D.K. Williams. We're brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com. Follow me on Twitter at BlueCarp, Facebook.com slash BlueCarp, and at BlueCarp.net. Like, rate, and share. And remember, government is not a tool of liberation. It is a tool of oppression. Freedom is dangerous. Live dangerously. Live dangerously.